And welcome on in, everybody, to the Check Your Brain podcast, the first one of 2024. And my guest is uh, making her third appearance on the show. I'll get to all that here in a second, but I appreciate you folks for uh, watching and listening to this podcast. My name is Tony Mazur. If you're watching the podcast on YouTube or Rumble or probably going to start putting stuff on Odyssey, just may as well just spread it all across. Uh, that is my logo. You can go check me out. My podcast is free every Wednesday on your major podcast platforms. But I also have a Patreon. If you want to uh, patronize me, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. I do about three, four, maybe five podcasts a week for just as little as three bucks a month. And I talk about all of this. So I hope you enjoy that. And you get early access to guests and whatever else I've got going on heading into as we are here in the new year. Again, my name is Tony Mazer. I, I appreciate you folks for watching this. And uh, as I said, making her third appearance on the show, she was on in 2021 in August. There it is. If you want to go check it out on the Spotify, um, I'm on Spotify and all the others, but I figure I'd spread it out a little bit. Uh, this is her first appearance talking about what had happened to her over at Yale back in 2018. Then I had a follow-up podcast the very next year. Um, and seeing how everything was going. So you can go check that out. And that way we don't have to get into the whole backstory and what has been going on. Go check those out for reference, and then you can come back and listen to this one. Or you can listen to this one. We'll reference that and say, okay, I want to hear more from uh, Tony's guest here. And that guest today is Sarah Brosh. And Sarah, I appreciate you for the third time. You're you're now in the pantheon of some of the top guests that I've had on the podcast. But we're going to talk about something related, but also completely different in the podcast. So Sarah, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much. It's my ab absolute pleasure to be here. I was like doing the plugs at the beginning and, uh, you know, the, the, the whole hoax and in my opinion, but I think it's, uh, people are kind of getting, uh, they're waking up, they're getting woke to it, if you will. They're stepping up and finding out what's going on. Uh, if you want to help Sarah, if you've gone, if you know about her story, go check out her GoFundMe. And it's uh, what they've done to you is uh, it's insane. It's it's criminal, in my opinion, and uh, essentially unpersoning you, depersoning you, making sure that you're not going to make money, have a job to to live life, and they're harassing you. And getting away with it. So if there's anything we can do out there to help you with your legal bills, with your just just like you said, living expenses right here, that it's a possibility where you can just at least have a job, live a normal life, go get food somewhere and have okay. something. So uh, it, once you hear her story and go check this out and you realize what we've been going through the last couple of years, it's very eye opening. And that's why I wanted to have you back on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I um. Not to start off a on a on a downer, but uh, I I really just I've been living a hellish nightmare. I've been living a hellish nightmare without end for five plus years, and I yeah I would really love for uh, for that to stop. <laughs> I would I really needed to stop. I needed to stop at this point. I just you know there's only so much abuse that that one person can take, and you know. But anyway, so yeah, but I, I, the support that I have received, I always call them my tiny band of beautiful supporters. Just, they've literally kept me alive and their support and love and, you know, kindness above all else, you know, it means everything to me, means the world to me. And of course, you know, the donations to support my legal funds are 
you know, are wonderful. And if anyone would like to donate, it would be amazing. And small donations are awesome because they really and truly add up quick. So I have, I still have a $40,000 bill from pursuing the FOIA request for the Yale police body cam footage. And I ended up just having to stop appealing because I just ran out of money. And, but I'm also now going to shortly file a section 1981 federal civil rights anti-white discrimination complaint against Yale. So, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, but yes, yeah, so if anyone would like to support that effort, it would mean the absolute world to me. So you got into to the public eye, unfortunately, because you've always been a very private person. But in 2018, yes. that you yes. were the, which they claimed you were the oppressor, but you really had, it's come out that you basically be, become the oppressed in this case up at Yale of the sleeping while black. And um, I think if, as people have, one thing I've just been saying about 2023 and 2022, the past couple of years, people are waking up to some of these hoaxes. They've been waking up and saying, wait a second, this doesn't add up. Because I think, unfortunately for you and Amy Cooper, you were victims of the pre-George Floyd era of, oh, you, uh, you know, you're calling the cops on someone just because they're black. What, well, what is it? And then you start to, as time has gone on, people have, again, using that term, woken up and saying, ah, that's not adding up here. So that's why I encourage a lot of people to go back into the story. But one of the things I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about, because you talked on your Twitter account about DEI. We've heard these acronyms the last couple of years, CRT, DEI, ESG. There's a bunch of others too, that I think we need to also start <laughs> figuring out as time goes on. But DEI has been a big one that we've seen blow up at the Ivy League colleges in 2023. You see this with what's been happening with their response or lack of response from the major presidents of Ivy League universities, including Harvard with Claudine Gay, who to the, as of this as of this recording is still the president of Harvard and really has not taken any responsibility, no matter how much plagiarism, but we'll get to all of that. But you have a special, um, I, I guess, a, a knowledge of DEI and not just critical race theory, but just critical theory that you've been seeing as you're an academic, you've risen through the, the, the ranks and you've seen how this works. Talk a little bit about your experience with it, the, what you have seen personally, and how it's it's a lot of coded language that's being put out there for what really does appear to be anti-white racism. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's right. So I was um, one of the uh, early victims of a living while black race hoax, especially on a campus. In I mean, there have been race hoaxes for forever, basically, but this latest incarnation was really uh, inspired by the Me Too movement. So you have the living while Black movement coming on the heels of the Me Too movement. And so I was, you know, one of the uh, one of the unwitting stars of a as a Karen Gone Wild viral video uh, that took place in May 2018 at Yale University. And of course, it was a complete living while black race hoax, and we've already talked about that. But uh, the thing that that I've really been trying to impress upon people lately, especially since um, you know people are just in an uproar over 
just the unbelievable, the mind-blowing sort of explosion of, of anti-Semitism and Jew hatred in particular that we've seen on college campuses where you see, you know, pro-Hamas mobs terrorizing Jewish students at Harvard, at Cooper Union, at Yale as well. And um, so the the, and I've always said this, but the the living while black race hoaxes, especially the ones on college campus, were being perpetrated, were being perpetrated by what I call the woke DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion and CRT, critical race theory industry. And a lot of people are probably that are watching are probably familiar with Chris Rufo. And that has been, you know, hit, uh, you know, a motivating force for his um, activism, you know, over many years now, uh, fighting against this woke DEI and CRT industry. And so when I say woke, I'm referring to, or woke or wokeness, I'm referring to woke intersectional feminism, which is truly the foundation of, of DEI, of CRT, of ESG. And so woke intersectional feminism, and I always tell people, that I use intersectionality as a concept in my work. I work on the philosophical foundations of law. Um, but what the problem it, with woke intersectional feminism is that it's truly the sort of bastardization and weaponization of intersectionality. And so what it's basically saying is just like you mentioned, is that it's establishing this oppressor and oppressed you know, moral framework. And it's not just a moral framework. It's uh, the way I define it is that, um, you know, woke intersectional feminism, which is really the foundation and almost synonymous with both DEI and CRT and also ESG, is really an ideology that has as, as its foundation, as a founding premise, the, the concept that if you are a member of, an, of what has been defined as an oppressed group, then you have a higher, a higher moral and or epistemic and or legal, legal. And this is really the goal um, is for them to, you know, basically make white people second-class citizens in the US. And so um, you have a higher moral, epistemic, and or legal status than someone who has been deemed to be a member of an oppressor, of an oppressor group. And that's really the foundation of all of these, you know, all of these acronyms that everyone has been hearing, DEI, CRT, ESG, but it's all about, you know, has as its foundation woke intersectional feminism. And this is the ideology with the, you know, the the based on, you know, the concept that, you know, that being a member of an of a quote unquote oppressed group gives you a higher moral epistemic or legal status than someone who has been defined as being a member of an oppressor group. And that's really important for everybody to understand. So what happened is, is that and I refer to like the past five plus years, um, you know, especially since what happened to me, the witch hunt at Yale in 2018, which of course is ongoing, is the great racism scare. I refer to all of it as the BLM, you know, uh, or and or living while black race hoax. And truly 
they were they were pretending that nobody white women Karens, right? First we were Beckys. We were actually Beckys at the time that, you know, the living, living or not being well black hate crime hoax at Yale happened. And now we're referred to, of course, as Karens. Um, so uh, that, um, oh, I lost my train of thought for a second. But anyway, so um, so so the, this woke DEI and CRT industry that exploded. And I think that it, re it really truly came on the heels. It was inspired by you know, it was already it was already in the works, but it was truly exploded and was inspired by the Me Too movement. And I think when the Living Well Black movement happened, especially on college campuses, it almost instantly morphed into this what I call a black trauma, you know, moral outrage industry. And you had, you know, woke cancel culture and you had trial by Twitter and you had all of the Karen gone wild videos, viral videos on Twitter, on social media, on Facebook um, exploded because everyone just sort of realized instantaneously that they could get their 15 minutes of Twitter fame at and they could, you know, just, it became an industry. It's literally an industry. And I call the woke DEI and CRT industry, you know, in the aggregate, you know, I call it the um, the black trauma moral outrage industry, a multi, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And of course it's an academia um, and, but it's also, you know, it was it was it's in Hollywood. It's in the woke fake news press. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and they were oh, this is what I was going to say. This is where I was going, and they were literally pretending, pretending. It is absolutely a hoax. They were pretending that these nobody white women Karens like me, like Amy Cooper, whom I love and adore, and we're supporting one another, and I consider her my sister. And now I I'm, now I understand what happened to her in Central Park as a full fledged race hoax, like not even just the fact that it was, um, you know, a non event that was blown up into a global hysteria by the woke fake news press. I also consider that to be sort of a type of race hoax, but that it was actually a pre I, I believe now, based on everything that I know at this point, that it was an a actually a pre planned hoax. Um, I think that Christian Cooper, along with his sister, Melody Cooper, planned ahead of time to perpetrate a living while black race hoax against a white woman in Central Park. He and, had, and, and by the way, for folks for folks who yeah. don't know about the story, because we talked about it last time uh, about a little over a year ago, is that she was the she was the Karen, quote unquote, who called the cops on a bird watcher. And and isn't the update that he has his own bird show? It's like a wildlife show. I'm like, really? So he parlayed a, a what what has really been deemed a hoax, and I think people have again woken up to it. And he he's become like an online superstar of bird watching. And boy, like when you said multi billion dollar <laughs> industry, there's other prongs, and that's how people are getting jobs based solely on what it seems like it's an, it was an affirmative action thing. 
That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, he is a National Geographic show about bird watching. He came out with a book. He has a book. And I truly believe at this point that they pre-planned to perpetrate a living while Black race hoax against a white woman in Central Park. Um, and that they did this to further their sort of flailing and failing entertainment careers. And I believe that Melody Cooper, his sister, who's the one who actually, you know, disseminated the original video online, that she did it so that she could use it as fodder for a law and order SVU telescript, which mm. is exactly what she ended up doing. And I believe this, you know, I'm not just like sort of, you know, pulling this out of thin air. Like I believe this based on in particular, their social media histories. And I've taken screenshots of everything that has led me to this conclusion. And I also believe that, um, I believe that Soldat O'Brien in particular, um, the journalist that she was involved as well and that they were in communications and that she had agreed ahead of time to disseminate this video. Goodness. Um, yeah, I, I see her on all, all the time. And uh, actually, because I, I shared the screen earlier, but I wanted to get the mainstream media as a corporate press's version of what DEI is. Now, we can define that as what we've been going through and what we will on this podcast. But, you know, at risk of sounding like an echo chamber, here's what the media wants to call DEI, according to ABC News. Diversity refers to representation of people from a variety of backgrounds, particularly referring to people of different races, genders, sexual orientations, disabilities, religions, and more at all levels in an organization, including the leadership level. So we kind of know what diversity is. I, I think the key terms to DEI are, it's not the D, it's the E especially, and it, 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 I think it's mostly the E, but the I is another one as well. E, the equity, focuses on fairness and justice, particularly referring to compensation, whether people are being paid or treated fairly, DEI experts told ABC News. And inclusion is about whether people feel like they belong and whether they feel feared or, or feel heard or valued in an organization. But I think the biggest thing there is equity, because the difference between equity and equality, I think normal right. people would say that we would like to be equal where we have a, an equal opportunity because there is an equality of outcome or equality of opportunity. I think the vast majority of people in our civilization would say equality of opportunity. You get an opportunity. If, if the outcome becomes unequal, whose fault is it then? Well, that's the problem is that what we found out over time Time tested, you can talk bell curve, whatever. Some people are better at some things than other people. You infer without it what you will, because you can, whether it's race, gender, sexuality, whatever it could be, that there is that equality of opportunity or equality of outcome. And what e equity is, is it's that equality of outcome. We want to make sure that the, the playing field, this is what they really, they claim they want. We want the level, the playing field to be level. That's not true. That's really not true. What they're doing is they're using that oppression uh, pyramid and trying to say, okay, well, where are you at on the, the level of oppression? Oh, well, you're a white male Christian. Well, you're at the bottom. But if you were black, if you're trans, if you're gay, if you're a lesbian, if you're uh, you know, a, 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 a little person, if you're this and that, you go higher on this hierarchy of oppression. 
And that's when when you said earlier about the oppressors versus the oppressed. And who gets to decide who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor? Well, it all comes down to what we've been saying we wanted to avoid. What what many thought the civil rights movement was supposed to be about was, hey, we're getting away from the racism, that we are not judging somebody by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And what DEI, what ESG, and what CRT are, are, mm, no, no. We're, we're going to have uh, segregated commencement ceremonies. We're going to have segregated proms. And uh, we're going to say that, uh, yeah, we are judging based solely on the color of your skin and not by the content of your character. So apparently that Martin Luther King guy was completely wrong, according to these people, right? That's right. That's right. You're exactly right. It's it's just it's completely it's sort of it's just ludicrous to think that this is where we're at as a society where we're bringing back we're bringing back Jim Crow style segregation, race segregation, you know, in the name of of quote unquote social justice. It's really just it, it it's just it's mind blowing that this is where we're at with society. And so what what really like just like kind of in a nutshell, and then I want to talk about, you know, how this ties into, you know, what's been happening lately on college campuses and the radicalization we've been seeing on college campuses is that so this this woke DEI and CRT industry, they basically they didn't have enough anti-black racism, especially on college campuses, especially at elite institutions, what we perceive as being elite institutions like Yale, Harvard, Columbia, et cetera. As, as, I, always, as I always say, the demand did not meet the supply. You are exactly right. That's a perfect way to say it. And they didn't have enough anti-black racism to sustain their multi-billion dollar industry. Right. So they have this multi-billion dollar industry. They have to keep it going. People have written, you know, um, essays and, and, and news stories about how the bureaucracy, the DEI, the DEI, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion bureaucracies on college campuses, especially at elite institutions like Yale, has just like exploded. I think at Yale, it's something like there's like four admins um, for every student or something, I'm, I might, that might be wrong, but it's some, it's some ridiculous, it's some ridiculous number. So, so this woke DEI and CRT industry that has become this multi-billion dollar industry, they don't have enough anti-black racism, especially on campus to sustain their industry. So they start, they literally start perpetrating BLM and living while black race hoaxes. And probably it's, Probably it's best that we just really focus on college campuses, but, but, you know, we could talk about, we could do, well, we could do another podcast where we talk about the entire, you know, wider BLM, you know, race grift, but, um, and that's truly what happened to me. And just like in a nutshell, people should go back and watch the other um, two podcasts. And I think you should start. I think I want a jacket. You know how like on SNL, you get a jacket when you hosted the show five times. Yes. <laughs> so, so if I hit five, I think I should get a jacket. Yeah, you're at the uh, Alec Baldwin, Steve Martin level. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So and, and by the by the way, you mentioned about college because a, a lot of this goes back because you mentioned the Me Too movement and but it, it is it is a little bit further back. And um, I've been pinpointing I've been thinking about this a lot. 
Do you remember in 2012, we had been in, in the years leading up to it, that 2012, it was the Mayan calendar was ending and this is when the end of the I, world was. Right. I and, you know, that. we all laughed about it. We're all like, yeah, the Mayan calendar, so what? And then you wake up the next day like, hey, we're all living, right? But I think in a weirdly philosophical way, I truly believe that once that Mayan calendar uh, changed and that was the end of it, we began a new world now. So since 2012, the New York Times, the Washington Post, these massive magazines post, I would say post uh, Occupy Wall Street, everything has ticked up where they say racism, white supremacy, transgenderism, all of the buzzwords that we know now, you didn't really hear a, a massive uptick in any of that until around 2012. And ever since then, it's just it's one hoax. It's one thing being perpetrated after another. And I remember in 2012, I think I mentioned this on one of the podcasts uh, that we did a couple of years ago, Overland College, which is about 40 yeah. minutes from where I'm broadcasting from right now, a liberal arts college. And I mean, a really ultra liberal, putting the liberal and liberal arts there. <laughs> and they uh, they had two race hoaxes that have popped up in the last decade. One of them, I remember vividly, was in 2012, where they claimed that there were nooses and that there was someone with a Klan hood walking around the campus. And what it came out was it was a woman who was having a, shall we say, a one night stand. And she was doing what's called the walk of shame back to her dorm. And she didn't want people seeing that she was leaving at like seven or eight o'clock in the morning, whatever the story was. So, so she put a, a sheet over her face to, to obscure. And someone said, hey, that's a clan hood. I can't believe this is happening. And then mm. finding nooses. Well, it came out that it was a bunch of uh, college incel types that were just like, yeah, well, we were just trolling people. But it was a Maoist struggle session type of thing where the, the dean of admissions and the president had to come forth and say, oh, we disavow racism on our campus. See, we're Overland and we're this. And then a couple of years ago, there was another one at a there was a bakery that eventually yeah. after years of litigation, after years of trying to negotiate, they finally the college had to pay, I think, upwards of thirty five, thirty six million dollars for it. But it was another one of those cases of, hey, here's another hoax and uh, that they were targeting that specific bake shop to get them in trouble. And what happens is there when we hear the term dog whistling. The ABC News is of the world, the the Washington Post, the New York Times. And then you have the grifters, the Ibram X. Kendi, a.k.a. Henry Rogers or Nicole Hannah-Jones or Jameel Hill or uh, other people. They right. dog whistle these things to their audiences. And they started people who aren't even from Oberlin or from Lorain County, Ohio, are attacking Oberlin College and, and threatening bomb threats and everything. And this is very serious. This is and. Even though people are kind of noticing things going on a little bit now, the initial story always gets way more retweets, more traction than the retraction. Right. That's right. And um, and that was, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that the family's name was Gibson. Yes, the Gibson Bakery. Yep. Family Bakery. And what Oberlin did to that poor family. And you might think, well, you know, they got, you know, m you know, tens of millions of dollars. 
but you know this but from what i understand that happened i mean going through years and years of litigation is is torture it's it's no one wants to have to do that it's devastating and from what i understand that um they they're the the i believe it was the was it the patriarch of the family that he actually passed away and they they you know that they thought that you know that the that the stress you know of of dealing with this you know horrific ordeal that um Oberlin perpetrated against this poor family just like you know basically you know a, a, you know hastened hastened his his death and I just feel so bad for that hope poor family I'm so happy I'm so happy that they finally um there you go and that they finally you know attained some you know semblance of justice but I'm sure that if you asked any members of that family if they would rather you know have um yeah both her husband and father-in-law died over the course of the court battle Right. Because having to go through litigation like that, it's hor it's horrible. You know, it's so stressful. You know, you're 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 being dragged through the mud, you know, um, you know, in the press and, and by opposing counsel. And it's awful to have to go through that. So I'm but I'm so happy that they finally, you know, did it attain some degree, you know, of justice um, and vindication. And of course, as as it said there, the college did not apologize, and Yale has not apologized to you. And these these they're emboldened; they're not going to apologize. They're not going to say anything they did was wrong because then that goes against what their DEI standards are. So that takes us to what we've been seeing since October at these Ivy League. It's all over the place right now. Now this is a. It's an interesting topic, this, uh, and I think I, I tweeted at you a couple of weeks ago about this, because it's not a typical, and I'm, I'm not using it as a racial term, but it's not a black and white issue here. This is not one of those, there is a little bit of nuance if you know what you're talking about, if you have a little bit of history into this conflict, where using the term from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. I can understand why some dumb pot smoking 18 year old college student would just think, well, OK, maybe Palestine deserves the right to live or whatever. But others will say, no, you're calling for open genocide of Israel and saying from the river to the sea, meaning we will clear out and murder Israelis from from their land. But then others will say, but that's not their land. And if you go by the pre 1947 maps and blah, 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 you just go through this whole this is why it's there's nuance to the debate, which it, we could have a debate about it. I understand that. Right. But these campuses that are allowing this, this is what's very fascinating about Harvard. It's very fascinating about MIT and very fascinating about UPenn is their base of students are very pro-Palestine because of what you mentioned earlier about intersectionality. You see a Jewish person in Israel and you see a Palestinian person in that region in Jordan or wherever. And they look at it just like we do here in America. Oh, it's skin color. So I see a darker skinned Palestinian and somebody who looks like every other white person in America. So therefore, I've in two seconds concluded that the Israel Israelites are the oppressors and Palestinians are the oppressed. And they look at that and it's that, again, it's the hierarchy that they go through. And that's why they're going out and funding in, in supporting this. However, the donors at these universities are very Jewish. I mean, they're Jewish. They're very prominent Democrats, 
but yes. they're not happy with their own people because this is now a, a Democrat issue that is really drawing a huge wedge into what's going on. So the Democrat donors of Harvard are saying, I've supported this university for decades. I'm a proud member and everything. And you're letting this going on campus with absolutely no repercussions happening. What is going on? So it, this is it's so fascinating because we've seen the BLM marches at the college campuses and it's just like the college, they wink and nod and they allow it to go on and everything. But this is just this is something we haven't really seen in the modern society. And talk about your thoughts and everything with this. I know it's a this is a very loaded question, but and it's not really much of an answer. It's more of like a pontification here. But talk a little bit about what you've seen here and how it's way different from the past racialized protests that we've seen, especially in the last decade. Right. Exactly. Excellent. And like, and I have long said, um, have said throughout this, um, the course of what we've been witnessing since the Hamas terror attacks in Israel on October 7th, especially on college campuses, that we must maintain our principles. We must maintain our principles, our commitment to free speech. And just like you said, that and I do not think, and obviously, you know, after what I went through, I was doxxed. I was swatted. I've been swatted more times than I can count. You know, I've been, you know, I have a very close and intimate relationship with the Las Vegas Police Department at this point. I mean, they don't even bother me anymore because they they know that it's that it's false. But we have to maintain our principles. And I have I have always maintained that I think if 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 we're talking about nobody students, just like you said, who are simply chanting, even if it's river to the sea, if they're simply chanting pro Hamas slogans and that's all they're doing, they're on a college campus, they're chanting pro Hamas slogans, even if it's river to the sea, even, you know, even if we we all, you know, sort of, you know, agree, concur that th this is, you know, a very, very strong suggestion you know, for, you know, an advocacy for or advocacy for genocide, even if we all agree that if they're doing nothing but chanting pro Hamas slogans on a college campus, I, it is I am adamantly opposed, you know, to doxing and destroying these nobody students. I'm opposed to woke cancel culture. And I think we have to maintain our integrity. We have to maintain our consistency. We have to maintain our principles. And I'm deeply and profoundly committed to free speech. Um, and we have to maintain that. Um, but we, what we are actually seeing now, there is a line that has been drawn by, you know, by the Supreme Court um, in terms of when Free speech is, you know, the line when you cross over and it becomes illegal. And so obviously, you know, harassment, you know, um, and when you're, you're targeted harassment of someone and when you're obviously making like very specific and explicit threats, you know, simply chanting river to the sea is, you know, and you're not directing it towards anyone, you know, is not an explicit or specific threat. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate that you made that point from the get go. And I, I always make that point, too. We have to. And even though, 
you know, um, people will probably be aware of like the Irish rioting that happened. Well, we can get into that. But anyway, I always tell people, you know, I, I say that this actually, the Irish riots that happened actually give me some measure of hope that we're going to be able to thwart what I see as this like incipient sort of woke dark age that I'm really scared about, that I'm really scared that is we're entering, you know, that, you know, is a woke dark age of lawlessness lawlessness, you know, that we're seeing across the U.S., um, Jew hatred and anti-white and anti-Asian terror. Um, and I'm, but even though I say that, you know, like the Irish riots give me some measure of hope and um, Javier Malay's election in Argentina gives me some measure of hope um, and also Geert Wilders win in the Netherlands. But still, I tell people, the first thing I say to people is do not riot. So um, get back to what we were talking about, but I just really appreciate that you made that point. We have to maintain our principles. We have well, to maintain and the, it, it, It's fascinating what you said about, uh, because you are a free speech absolutist. And like you said, you may disagree with what ha happens and what they're saying, but you fight for the right to say it. It, That's it is an interesting distinction because uh, about, a, what was it, maybe a month or so before October 7th, there were stadiums of upwards of maybe 120,000 people in South Africa chanting, kill the boar, kill the white for shoot, shoot to kill, kill the boar. And the New York Times has to say, eh, there's nuance here. There's a gray area. This is, they're not calling for genocide of white farmers. It's just an old anti-apartheid jingle that then chant that they would sing. And uh, it, it, eventually they came out and they said, no, that is what we want to do. So if you had that in America and saying, you know, kill the boar, shoot to kill, I that's way more of an overt call for violence and genocide than saying from the river to the sea. We can have these discussions. But again, the whole thing is, and, and I always hate playing this game of, of the, well, can you imagine if the uh, tables or the races were reversed here and what would happen? And it's kind of a losing argument if you resort to it, because as much as yes, I would like to I would like to play that. I'd say, imagine if you said this about this group or whatever, what would happen to you? Oh, you'd get fired. You'd lose everything. So why isn't this group? It gets into a, a, a like a, a what about ism and you go virtually nowhere because you just it's almost you have to accept the fact that this is what's going on. And it's being propped up and it's 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 being propped up by the mainstream media. It's being propped up, as we've seen now um, in in all the way to the White House, that it, there's a lot of winking and nodding going on right now with especially the DEI industry. This is something that they're I mean, they're bringing them to the White House and, and meetings. So this isn't a fringe industry that's happening on some small college campus in Ohio. This is all across the board and it's being allowed. And I think what what was fascinating about the. Um, Elise Stefanik interviewing and, uh, and really grilling these presidents of these Ivy League schools was that it proved that DEI was absolutely in place. That Claudine Gay, who's essentially plagiarized her entire career, and it, and I didn't realize that is Roxanne Gay her sister or a cousin? And cousin, cousin. It's amazing. So uh, Claudine Gay plagiarized her her whole life. I mean, it, I think it was the uh, I remember uh, Johnny Carson had a thing about Joe Biden where Joe Biden was caught plagiarizing in 1988. 
and said that oh, I knew uh, Johnny Carson did a joke saying that I knew uh, that uh, there was plagiarism, plagiarism when he said four score and seven years ago. So it was funny how Claudine Gay has plagiarized the acknowledgments in her books, the acknowledgments, not just the, the acknowledgments. That was mind blowing when I found out when I saw that she she plagiarized the acknowledgment. The, it, it was incredible. Yet the other two presidents got the boot, but she's still there. Why? Because of what we're talking about, DEI. She checks the box that she is a strong black woman, the first president who's black at Harvard, blah, 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 blah. But her credentials are there are nil. She has no credentials. She's lied about her credentials, yet she's still in place. And I got to say, and I know other people, I, Michael Knowles has talked about this and others. I love the fact that she's still there right now because it shines a spotlight on what exactly what we're talking about. It exposes it. It exposes it. So did, um, I believe the president's name um, at uh, MIT, I believe it's Cornbluth. Is that right? I did, think so. Yes. Did she actually get fired? I know McGill resigned or basically was forced to resign. She may but have been forced to resign too, but yeah, they they both were are not in those positions fired. right now. Okay, got it. Which I, I believe aren't isn't one of them or both of them Jewish too. I don't know that, but that but yeah, that could be that could be. But yes, it's it's very interesting. Um, you're absolutely right about um and and we've seen um and i'm so grateful i'm so grateful to like a, a bill ackman who who has been basically really spearheading the campaign to get Cla harvard president claudine gay fired i'm actually i'm so i'm so grateful to him because um you know i'm just like i'm this tiny nobody account and obviously that's one of the reasons why i was targeted and I don't think Yale ever thought I was going to fight back like this, you know? Um, so, and I will, I will never stop fighting for justice. I just don't have it in me. I don't even care anymore if it kills me, you know, I will never stop fighting for justice, but I'm so grateful to him because, you know, I, I really need someone powerful, like, you know, uh, Chris Rufo, Elon Musk and Bill Ackman to, to speak out against the woke DEI and CRT industry. Um, and of course, I think it's, I think that it's just, I think that the, the ostensible plagiarism on the part of Harvard president Claudine Gay is just, is just preposterous. And then that alone is reason enough that, you know, to fire her. Um, and she should be, she should be, it should be mortifying to her that she isn't going ahead and taking it upon herself of her own volition to step down after that, after what has been exposed, that alone. But but really, um, and, and I also say too, like, yes, we need to fire these presidents. And like you said, maybe it's better. We need to file Yale, fire Yale President Peter Salovey too, but and we need to fire um, Yale uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay. Like you said, maybe it's even better if she stays because this has just blown the entire, it has exposed the entire racist monstrosity that is the woke DEI and CRT industry. Um, and so... Harvard President Claudine Gay, what I say truly is that, is that, you know, they have this woke DEI and CRT industry, especially in academia, they've been perpetrating these BLM living while black race hoaxes. And they, we must 
and the entire industry. They made, they are the reason why, and, and they, they've never been shy about their anti-Semitism. They've never been shy about their Jew hatred. And they are the reason why Jews are actually being terrorized, like being assaulted and being terrorized on campus, like definitely crossing that line and, you know, and, and like you said, we could debate about where that line is, but they, uh, you know, they're actually, Jews are actually being terrorized on campus, including at Harvard. And so um, they made, because of their ideology, like we talked about, they made racial terror against quote unquote oppressors socially acceptable again. Okay. Again. And you know, and they started with, you know, the poor white students like me targeting the poor white students like me, which is an egregious violation of the Federal Civil Rights Act. And I'm going to be filing my Section 1981 complaint against Yale shortly. So, but, and what's what's really particularly interesting about Harvard President Claudine Gay and the, the way that she has benefited from this industry and why it's so important that that she be fired, in my opinion. It was I interesting that you mentioned her cousin, Roxane Gay. Roxane Gay uh, was a major perpetrator of the witch hunt at Yale, of the living or napping while black hate crime hoax at Yale. So they both come from, and this is something that I've talked about before. Um, I don't know if people are familiar. He's like a big Twitter or now ex-personality. His name is Tariq Nasheed. And actually, yeah. he's, do you know who I'm talking about? And he's yeah, actually someone- my, my favorite thing about Tariq, because I, I've been blocked by Sean King, who, let's be honest, is a white guy <laughs> pretending to be black. Uh, but I I made it my mission. I'm like, I do not want to be blocked by Tariq Nasheed because his tweets are so ridiculous that I need to see them. I don't want to be banned from seeing them. I want I want to yeah. get an opportunity. Yeah, he is one of those, which I think he made his bones because he wrote a book saying like how to be a pimp. And then that, for whatever yeah. reason, gave him credentials to talk about everything <laughs> race. I've been trying to figure out for years, like how he became famous. You know, if he was just famous on the internet because he's famous on the internet, like those Krasenstein brothers. Yes. You know? Um, so I, I had no idea, but so he was someone who actually perpetrated the, the hate crime hoax at Yale helped to perpetrate the hate crime hoax at Yale and like railed against me. You know, I was the secret Nazi, but what's funny is that like, he actually, like he abhors, um, Kamala Harris, he abhors Uju Anya, um, who is that Carnegie Mellon professor, uh, who, uh, I believe a um, Nigerian immigrant who became famous because she was wishing a horrific, painful death and, you know, afterlife on Queen Elizabeth after she died. And so because um, and he uh, is someone who would I, I don't know. I actually, I, I need to look and see if he's commented on Harvard President Claudine Gay, because Harvard President Claudine Gay is exactly the kind of person that, um, you know, Tariq Nasheed would abhor because he sees them as being these super hyper privileged Africans or immigrants, you know, um, who basically usurp the struggle 
of what like a Tariq Nasheed refers to as ADOS, American descendants of slaves and foundational black Americans. So he hates Kamala Harris because he sees her as being, you know, from this very, you know, privileged, hyper-privileged immigrant family who like, you know, wears the, you know, cloaks themselves in the mantle of the struggle of American descendants of slaves, of AD ADOS, Foundation of Black Americans. And Harvard President Claudine Gay is definitely, you know, someone who falls in this category. Her and her cousin Roxanne Gay are from this super privileged, um, I believe it's Haiti, Haitian immigrant family, um, you know, the, and, and the, they are also, um, as I pointed out, the primary beneficiaries of affirmative action have been these super privileged Africans and immigrants. And also the um, they have been the main perpetrators of the BLM and Living Well Black race hoaxes on campus, including the Living or Napping While Black hate crime hoax at Yale which is really interesting to me. And the reason why, um, you know, it's important to point this out is because like truly the, the woke DEI and CRT industry, and in particular, the one, um, one professor, Yale sociology professor, Elijah Anderson, he has been a huge, you know, contributor to what I call the the body of fraudulent Karen gone wild pseudo scholarship, you know, which is part of the woke DEI and CRT industry in academia. And so he has this book that he published um, within the last year, year and a half or so called Black in White Space. And so when I basically expose him for what he did to be during the witch hunt at Yale, I, I like to say that I'm going to write a book that's called, um, you know, uh, Poor White Trash in Woke Space, because truly, thank you, that's perfect. So uh, truly, they they are not, you know, that this space, especially this these elite, you know, academic institutions like Yale and Harvard, they are not white spaces. They are woke spaces. Mm -hmm. The woke DEI and CRT industry are these incredibly, incredibly privileged persons like Harvard President Claudine Gay that are protecting their woke privilege. They're protecting their woke space and they are targeting poor white trash students like me, you know, using me as their Nazi to um, justify implementing Yale's in particular, Yale's Maoist you know, vast new woke DEI and CRT bureaucracy belonging at Yale, which is what they did. And Ibram, they paid Ibram X. Kendi this obscene sum of money to participate in that. Yeah, so, wasn't it like 30 million and they realized that there was nothing that he has done since 2020, since this department? That, that it, it, it's incredible, the the grifting. And you notice that they're their histories are very checkered with what their majors were in and how they've gotten tenure. I, I remember, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Toure. I, I, I remember yes. I booked Toure on my show many years ago and I looked into it and I think his dissertation or her, or his, um, uh, uh, maybe a senior thesis was on Prince. Like not, not a Prince Prince as in the musician from Minnesota, purple rain. And I'm like, wow, so you're just so you could just do something on your favorite artist and then that 
makes you qualified. Yet over the summer, this is kind of, as we mentioned about DEI and ESG, this is blown up with affirmative action with this case at Harvard and at, uh, what's the other college? Was it North Carolina? I believe it was UNC about affirmative action that they, we had been surmising that this has been going on for a while, which is not just an anti-white, but it's also anti-Asian as far as test scores go. Yes. And that they were, if you had, for example, a like, because I think most of us in the United States and Western civilization believe in merit. You believe in a, a meritocracy in that the best people will get that have the highest grades should get this. And if you have the lowest grades, you don't deserve to be in there. Well, they started looking at bell curve. They looked at IQ. They looked at test scores and they said, oh, too many Asians. There's too many of the Japanese, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. they had to rig the test scores and keep out more qualified white and Asian students and import more black and Latino students that may not have achieved that, but it just looks good. It looks like a Benetton ad. It's a coloring book. See, look what we have. Well, the problem is when you do that, when you don't base your system on merit, it starts to water down the product and it doesn't look as good. Now look what we have. It's I, I use the sports example all the time, but let's say that the greatest basketball players in the NBA happen to be black. Okay. I'm a white guy who's five foot 11. I played varsity basketball. I don't deserve it because we want to balance things out. We want to make it more representative. No, I believe the best people should be there for the best jobs. I believe the smartest people should get into colleges based on their grades and what they can bring to the table. But DEI but ESG and CRT and all the other acronyms, they say, yeah, but if it doesn't benefit the way we want to push this narrative, then it needs to be changed. And that's the big problem with this. That's right. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And like, and just to piggyback on everything we've been saying and to um, come back to like um, Tariq Nasheed's, you know, argument about, you know, he just rails against these, you know, super, super privileged Africans and, and immigrants. And he says, and I'm I'm actually, I'm actually sympathetic to this argument um, that, you know, that, uh, that they are, and he says this too, that they are the, pri- they have been the primary beneficiaries of affirmative action. And then that's why, you know, you, so it's not that it's not that you know the you know the um inner city black kid is is benefiting you know the inner city black kid here in the US who's the actual you know descendants of 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 American descendants of slaves he that's not the person that's benefiting from the affirmative action the person that's benefiting from has been benefiting from affirmative action is someone like Harvard president Claudine Gay who is comes from this extreme background of wealth of of hyper privilege and you know just has the this completely scant like it should be she should be embarrassed to be the Harvard president she should be embarrassed to be the Harvard president based on her scant publication record alone like we not even we don't even not even touching upon the 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 plagiarism the scant publication alone and then on top of that on top of that she plagiarized in half of those 11 papers, I guess, or something. I'm pretty sure the number is 11. Like she should be, it should be embarrassing to her. 
to be the to be Harvard's president. It should be, but they're but they're not embarrassed, and they're making a lot of undeserved money. Like we mentioned about, uh, um, the, the, I just saw this one over the weekend since we're recording this right around New Year's. Is um, uh, what was it? Uh, they're honoring Ray Rice, who in 2014 was found knocking his then fiance, now wife, unconscious and dragging her out of an elevator. And you know, I guess enough time had passed that um, they're going to honor you know, because, oh, everyone deserves a second chance. He made a mistake and he's coming back. But Jameel Hill says it's not good enough because Colin Kaepernick should have been been playing for the Baltimore Ravens and they didn't want him as the backup quarterback or whatever. And it's just this this whole industry of absolute just nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is ever good enough. And you're talking about some of once again, like you said, the most privileged people on the planet who can openly chant racist things which, which is what's been happening that ibram x kendi that can uh, who ibram x kendi i believe has come out and said that uh, uh, somebody asked him about ra- the definition racism and he says racism is when a racist partic- participates in a racist system of racism and i'm just like what <laughs> you just you didn't define anything you just it, it, that's just what it is it is a big grift now like right. your background you you've had background in civil rights you want to look out for the 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 people who society has really come down upon the downtrodden the people that have fallen through the cracks this is why you're not a far right wing person you're a, if anything you're a classical liberal by the true definition of the word uh right. so that's why all of this that's going on you have personal stake in it, but you're not doing so out of out of well, maybe maybe a little bit out of malice because of what's happened to you. But you've never really come out and said that like I, I'm doing this because I'm this you know uh, I'm just going to lean into who I am and I'm no you're somebody that you do look out for people who have been attacked unfairly the the people like uh, like Amy Cooper like yourself and others who are the victims the the Gibson Bakery these are the people that. And yeah, sure, maybe they'll get a couple of bucks, maybe, you know, everything, but it, the damage has been done. And it, I think what we need to do as, as a people, as me, as a podcaster and others in the media like Chris Rufo have been putting this out there to say this isn't just, OK, well, maybe this was a race, race hoax and they'll give you a couple of bucks to sh- shut up and go away. Mm-mm. This has to stop now. This has to it stop has- before it goes anywhere because you know how these online anon mobs are going to go after people and dox you, put your phone number and your credit card information. And then that gets to the social media companies outside of Twitter, which I, I, I want to ask you about Elon because I think what he's done is incredible. Yeah. But these social media companies that were unpersoning people the last couple of years because you either question election results, you question the COVID regime, you question whatever it could be. And they were... Debanking you, not saying you, but like people like Alex Jones and Laura Loomer and Milo Yiannopoulos, they were getting unpersoned and they couldn't defend themselves. And that's what happened with you is that you had a situation where you didn't have the platform at that place to defend yourself properly while everybody else with two followers to two million followers were attacking you and, and, and attacking your character. That's right. That's exactly right. And for me, it's like, you know, and I always say this too is that people might not care about the destroyed lives of nobodies like me, right? People might not care about the suicides and the suicides have been stacking up, you know? Um, And 
there was, you know, Richard Bilkstow, Mike Adams, David Bucci, Chadwick Seagraves, and I could go on and on. And I believe that there's a number of the January 6th defendants who have killed themselves also. Yes. And yeah, and we could go on and on. But this is about, like I mentioned before, I'm, I really feel fear that we are entering an incipient woke dark age. And this is about protecting our democratic institutions from the woke DEI and CRT industry. And to bring it back to Harvard President Claudine Gay, she has, and this has been much discussed, um, and including by Carol Swain, who's an esteemed scholar, very conservative scholar, who was one of the persons from whom uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay had plagiarized. But uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay has also, on top of everything, has also spent her time in academia as part of the woke DEI and CRT industry, again, protecting that woke privilege in that woke space. And she has actually been attacking very esteemed Black scholars at Harvard, including Roland Fryer and Ronald Sullivan, and did grave damage to their academic careers. Um, and so, and that's you know, and and these are very, you know, esteemed, you know, um, uh, scholars of profound merit. And I also say that that's one of the reasons why, you know, Yale came after me. They they saw me as this poor white trash interloper, you know, and also um, I was ousted as a heretic and and an apostate because I was this hardcore civil libertarian. I think that we had already discussed this, but I actually had stood up for the religious expression rights of an evangelical black man at Yale um, in my first year in the PhD program. And that's why the Yale administration sort of was, had been targeting me for expulsion for years. So when the napping while black hate crime hoax happened, in the in the spring of 2018, Yale just got super excited because they already despised me. I was a social pariah at Yale, and um, for having stood up for my you know for civil liberties and for my principles, and but also I got into I I really am from you know someone who pulled herself up from her bootstraps. I really am from you know the lowest socioeconomic you know, status um, tier and uh, pulled myself up for my bootstraps straps and got into Yale based solely on merit. And so I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm like this complete, I'm this, you know, aberration, this anomaly. And I just, I'm like a, a, a stick in the eye to the um, to the woke DEI CRT industry. So of course they were like, we have to get rid of her, just like they attacked, you know, Roland Fryer and Ronald Sullivan. You know, it them having black skin didn't even protect them, you know, because 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 Roland Fryer had published, you know, had published, you know, papers that were basically just completely contravent uh contrary to the to the narrative that the woke DEI and CRT industry wanted to push and then just to like 
the, um, why I'm talking about all of this is because it's just like you said, this is about so much more like someone might not care that, you know, me, some nobody has been living in a hellish nightmare, you know, for five plus years that I barely survived. Someone might not care about the suicides, but we have to end the woke DEI and CRT industry because they are destroying our world. And they're not just, they're destroying academia. I tend to think that they've destroyed academia. I'm I'm not sure how we, I'm, I'm not sure how it comes back at this point. No, I I don't think so either. And I, I guess as we're heading, we're in the new year now, as this is recorded, it, we're in, it's going to be a crazy year in 2024, but I, I've been saying this on a couple of podcasts and I don't mean this hyperbolically. I don't mean this facetiously. I truly believe Elon Musk buying Twitter yes. is the biggest and greatest thing to happen to free speech in centuries. And I mean that. I truly mean that because the days of the yellow journalism, the muckraking, you know, it's kind of gone. The media industry is a PR firm for all of these companies and for BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard and everything. And Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, CDC, all these government programs. We've been hearing about all this for a couple of years. And but we wouldn't have been able to hear it because usually if you posted it on Twitter and you had some kind of prominence, you were getting booted. You don't say that kind of stuff. How dare you attack critical race theory? That means you're a racist because you're saying that. Well, Elon bought it. And uh, it, we can have conversations again right now. We can have discussions. And not only that, it takes somebody like him posting about DEI that people are like, wait a second here. I didn't know about this. What is this? And then they start to look and say, well, oh boy, this doesn't look very good. And I've always said that it doesn't take people on the very far left or very far right to move a needle as far as ideology goes. It's the classical liberals. When people are talking about something, whether it was about COVID and vaccines to anything else, Joe Rogan is not a far right wing person. He may not be far left. He may have voted left, but he's he has a podcast. He's prominent. He's not he's kind of like a in the middle type of guy. Elon Musk, not a far right guy. But that's what it takes to start moving the needle or having people that are not so far on either end of the spectrum to get their ideology across. The problem with the DEI industry is they are so far left. They make anybody who's not at their place look so far right. That's why they call everybody a Nazi who does not agree with them. Again, their demand for Nazis, just like with racists, their demand for Nazis does not meet the supply. So here we are. It's 2024. People start to know the DEI and it's starting to get equated in a negative way that they're going to have. The, you're already seeing they're starting to manipulate a couple of the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, letters in the acronym that they're going to change things a little bit. We also heard about critical race theory the past couple of years. They say, no, 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 no. Our schools are not teaching critical race theory. Now they are, but they're not talking about it from the capital CRT. It's just they're teaching race theory that is critical but they're not calling it that that so it's kind of like a you know they're they're messing around with the uh <laughs> with their language and everything but it's still going out but people are waking up to it that's why these school boards are changing uh it, it starts at that low level that they're getting them out of there that are that are teaching that i mean think about how racist something like critical race theory is is telling kids that no matter what color they are that white kids are way more privileged and they will it, 
be better at everything than you are. Like, what are you telling a young black kid about the talk to say that you're going to amount to nothing? The police are going to pick you off for sport. You'll never get hired anywhere. I mean, what, what kind of self-esteem is that to to do to a, a young black kid in America when all this other stuff is going on? And then also telling white kids, yeah, you're also racist, too, and uh, you need to repent for your sins. It's it's racist all around. And that's not I'm using that language because it truly is. It's not me just saying, oh, I just think it is. No, it's legitimate definitional racism. That's right. You're exactly right. Everything you just said is exactly right. And starting with like, thank God, thank God, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Thank God, Elon Musk bought Twitter. And I always say this. I say that, you know, we only really have free speech right now in the US because Elon Musk bought Twitter and turned it into X. And also it was pure genius that he did away with the legacy blue check mark, which was truly for the most part being exploited by the wake woke, excuse me, by the woke fake news press to, they were using it as a Jack Dorsey issued, you know, license to terrorize. It was a status symbol. It was it was a stat like I don't associate with you non blue checkmark people you you peons you I don't even talk to you people anymore and they were using it for clout it was a classism thing well and they were they were claiming it as they were claiming it as like a license that designated them the arbiters of truth so they were like if I tell you that this person is a racist or an anti-Semite or whatever, then, you know, I, oh, I have my legacy blue checkmark, my Jack Dorsey issued legacy blue checkmark, you know, and, and I'm also, I'm, I'm the press, you know, I'm the New York times. So, and they just did it again to Elon Musk. They tried to, you know, they tried to smear him as um, an anti-Semite to destroy X to destroy X, and then you had that, you know, um, the the outflux of, of of advertisers. Some of them, I I'm understanding, are coming back now. Um, but and and then that was at, right after that was when um, Elon Musk uh, he was at some sort of um, convention talk something where he said he told the advertisers that were fleeing um, X because he was being smeared as an anti-Semite by the woke fake news press. And remember, Ben Shapiro stood up for him. And so Elon Musk said, go fuck yourself. Remember? <laughs> mm -hmm. That was it was amazing. I loved it so much. And, and he doubled down on it by saying, yeah, so you're going to boycott. <laughs> which, go fuck which, yourself which... again. <laughs> Which was so funny because he is coming out against uh, Bob Iger because Bob Iger puffed his chest out saying your your platform is promoting anti-Semitism. And now and of course, it's come out that, no, that's TikTok. Twitter is not actually promoting anti-Semitism to the levels that TikTok is. But, you know, he is, he's not pulling Disney stuff off of TikTok. Yep. That's right. That's exactly right. They are just, they, they, that, and that is such a beautiful point. Thank you for making that point. The only reason they are all going after Elon Musk and Elon Musk has a target on his back a mile wide when TikTok doesn't, Facebook doesn't, um, Instagram doesn't, is because Elon Musk has committed to free speech on X. And I'm not saying it doesn't have problems still. It does. You know, I still sometimes... 
you know, I'm struggle and my tweets are suppressed because of course my tweets are under constant attack because I'm not big enough to be able to really withstand the attacks and my haters know that. And the fact that I tell the truth about the woke DEI and CRT, CRT industry is they're so threatened by that. No one wants the truth to come out. So there's still problems, but but they are attacking Elon Musk because he is making X a true, you know, free speech platform. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing because I've been on, I think I've been on Twitter, I just passed the 15 year mark. And uh, Twitter at the beginning was just, it was kind of fun. It was, a, as I always said, it was like a cigar lounge. Everyone's just hanging out and yeah, we'll disagree on politics. We'll disagree on this, this, and this. But you know what? At the end of the day, let's, hey, if you're in town, let's go grab a drink or let's do this. And then the after around the 2012 election is when things started really cramp, uh, ramping up as far as the censorship. And yeah. when you look at these regimes all the way to DEI and everything that's being. Oh. It looks like you might have frozen. Oh, oh, no. Can you hear me okay? Can you see me? Let me see here. Oh, I'm back. Sorry about that. Yeah, my oh, internet kicked out for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I said, oh, I'm so sad that we had a, a blip, but you can probably just probably, hopefully just take that out. Yeah, I think I, it should be fine. But uh, we'll uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing with Twitter and, and coming back that I know it's they call it X, but it's still be Twitter to me. Uh, I my big hope right now is that people continue being aware of situations like yours, like Amy Cooper's. Um, the, the Jussie Smollett thing was huge too. Um, and the, um, uh, the, the Covington Catholic hoax, I always bring that up, but it's going on five years now that that's going on. It's been over five, it's almost seven now for you and, or six, I should say. And people are waking up to it. I'm very happy to see that. Um, it's going to take a lot of censorship is what I'm concerned about that. I don't think they're going to scare people with a lot of COVID stuff this year, uh, no matter how many people claim that, you know, oh, well, vaccine, I don't think it's going to happen. But I think tech censorship, you want to talk about viruses, it might be more tech oriented in 2024. A lot of banning off of Meta and Amazon and anything like that. So I guess that's a concern. But right now, going into this new year, I, I feel happy that we have something uh going for us that that people are understanding what's been happening to to a lot of people like yourself yes absolutely absolutely i just um yes and i think that i'm i'm really 
I'm very curious to see what's going to happen in 2024. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remain hopeful. Um, it's been interesting to watch, um, you know, how the the White House and how Biden and the Democrats in general have been, you know, responding to, you know, the tide really turning and people really waking up, like you said, to the evils of the woke DEI and CRT industry. Um, so, I mean, of course, Biden and the Democrats and Obama, including both both Barack and Michelle were huge perpetrators, huge perpetrators of the BLM and living while black race hoax. And um, there's just there was just a brand new, you know, Netflix documentary with um, Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Obama, where, um, you know, they're congratulating one another, you know, for being so amazing. And they were both major, major, huge um, main even perpetrators of the BLM living while black race hoax. And um, truly that's why, like I've mentioned, you know, Jews are being terrorized on campus and we're entering this, this woke dark age of lawlessness. And the, the gross, you know, irony of the BLM living while black race hoax is that truly they are everyone who perpetrated that hoax bears some measure of responsibility for every police killing of a black person in the past couple years, like Tyree Nichols and Amir Locke, because they made people terrified to call the police for help. And they made the police terrified to do their jobs. And they also created the conditions of lawlessness that led to Jordan Neely's death on the New mm -hmm. York subway with Daniel Penny. You know, because and because like people are terrified to call the police, the police are terrified to do their jobs. The DAs don't even prosecute, you know, when when there is law breaking, we see we see lawlessness spreading across the U.S. De police departments across the U.S. can't even hire new officers. They can't even Oops, hire. New officers. They're leaving office. The officers that they have are all leaving. They've significantly lowered hiring hiring standards. And we are like, and, and now you see, we have these, these pro Hamas mobs that are rampant across the US in our major cities. And it's just like, we're, we're, I, I feel I, I'm trying to maintain like, going into 2024. How should we feel? What should we do? I'm trying to be calm. I'm trying to stay calm. I'm trying to stay strong. I'm trying to stay brave. I, I'm trying to just keep exposing the evils of this entire, you know, woke DEI and CRT industry and the BLM living while black race hoax. Um, and I do think we have some reasons, like I mentioned, to be hopeful. Um, and I will, I definitely, I just encourage everyone so much to, you know, to walk away from the Democrats and, um, and, you know, they are the ones that have, you know, perpetrated this hoax for political power and to smear and defeat Trump. I personally, I'm definitely going to be voting for the Republican nominee. And I think the most important thing is to vote Biden and the Democrats out of office above all else. And, you know, and I mean, we didn't even touch on, you know, the border crisis. And so that's that's another podcast. But oh, yeah. 
<laughs> well, and, I, and also one thing we didn't we didn't really talk about, but it's all related to is the the pride movement is the LGBTQ yeah. movement, because, again, if you're a classical liberal, you go, well, everybody deserves a right. You know, it doesn't matter. The government shouldn't get involved in the bedrooms and everything. And but it's not that. And it's what's been putting forth into these schools and what these kids are reading and or, or what they it, they may not even be reading it, but it's being pushed upon in these libraries of uh, of like oral and anal sex. And um, I mean, just uh, disgusting, perverted stuff that's happening in classrooms that uh, th that is being promoted. And then, of course, they're claiming, oh, you're trying to ban books. You know who else banned books? You're like, oh, great. Back to the Nazi thing. We're, we're doing Godwin's law here. Um, so it's it's incredible because it really is all related. And, and what we mentioned about the uh, about intersectionality, you say, oh, well, you're trans, you're gay or whatever. And I think a lot of that, too, is because people can't come out and say they're proud to be white. So you have a lot of white people that go, well, I need some kind of identity. And that's where you see uh, the stat that came out that was so alarming last year that said that nearly 25 percent of girls 13 to 17 identify as queer. And I'm like, I don't even know if they even know what that is. And also, why are we sexualizing teenagers? This is not good. This is not good. But it's all related with the DEI stuff. So it's not even just about race. It's about identity. And it's it's a big thing for people to watch out for. You are. I'm so happy that I'm so happy that you said that because you're exactly right. And this is why I also, I tell people, you're exactly right. Like people are sort of uh, clamoring for a higher run on the oppression Olympics ladder of the woke DEI and CRT industry. And you're exactly right. Like they, you know, they want some claim to oppression so that they have, you know, you know, you know, this higher status on the oppression Olympics ladder. And, but, and, and I understand that. But I also, this is also why I actually like, now we can see right now there's a rift, just like there's a rift in the Democratic Party. There's always also a rift in, you know, in the Jewish community, because you have, you know, you, you have some um, section of the Jewish community where they, I actually feel like, you know, I, I sort of implore them, please do not beg for a higher run on the oppression Olympics ladder of the woke DEI and CRT industry. That is not the answer. And, and I feel like some colleges and some, you know, DEI bureaucracies in colleges are going this route where they're trying to say like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. We want to keep our multi-billion dollar grift and race hustle going. And, um, so you know what, Jews, come on in. We'll we'll give you a little bit higher rug on the oppression Olympics ladder. And I just say, please reject this. Yeah, and and it's funny you mention that because a lot of the donors and a lot of this that that they're surprised by it are Jewish people themselves who have been involved and deeply involved in DEI and everything. And then all of a sudden, October seventh happens. They're like, what the heck? What's going on? Why am I getting attacked? I helped you guys. And they're like, well. Because you didn't think it was going to get back to you? I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, uh, it, you, if Jewish people are trying to try to win in the oppression Olympics in this case, um, unfortunately, our society is not allowing that to they, they may win against Christians. They may win against something like that. But 
against uh, an industry that many of them did really help propagate. I, I don't see it's a, a winning battle there for them. You're exactly right. And it's because, yeah, they and they have never been shy. The woke political left, fake news press and the, and the DEI and CRT industry, including and maybe especially in academia, has never been shy about their anti-Semitism and their Jew hatred. But they code Jews as white and oppressor, regardless of what, you know, the truth is about, you know, the makeup um, of, of Israel or, or the Jewish community across the diaspora, you know. Um, but yeah, they, they're, I, this is, I say this all the time. I say, please, we have to end. And I think it was, um, is it Ben Sassy? Is, is that how he pronounces his last name? He's the, um, former Senator, I believe Senator, who's now the president of the university of Florida. Um, anyway, he had, uh, an op-ed in the, um, in the Atlantic recently, and I, I just thought it was so beautiful and it was so on point. It was so good. And he made this same point where he said, the problem is the ideology itself. The problem is the oppressed oppressor moral framework itself. We have to end it. We have to end the entire woke DEI and CRT industry. And we have to, just like Carol Swain says, and I thought she made this point recently, and I thought it was so beautiful, and this is a point that I have made um, repeatedly as well, is that, you know, um, but also, and and um, and I do have respect for her, and I, I sometimes think she makes really good points. Um, uh, Batia Ungar Sargon, who's been particularly, I don't know if you know that name, but she's been particularly um, outspoken and she's been, you know, a talking head and has appeared a lot on Fox News recently talking about, you know, the the radicalization on, on college campuses and the anti-Semitism and all that, the pro-Hamas mobs. And, um, you know, and, but I feel like she has been sort of denying the fact that Jews are actually being terrorized, mm -hmm. you know, on college campuses. And, um, and I have a lot of respect for her, but um, what I say is, and I think that this is what, um, this is the point that Carol Swain, who was um, Harvard president, Claudine Gay plagiarized was one of the scholars, esteemed scholars that she plagiarized from was Carol Swain, who is a very esteemed black scholar, black woman scholar, um, very conservative as well. But she made this point so beautifully is that um, what we need to do, we need to reject, we need to reject the racism because they truly are the racists. They're the ones perpetuating racism. They're the ones bringing racial terror back. They're the ones bringing lynch mobs back. Uh, they're the ones bringing Jim Crow segregation back. We need to end the woke DEI and CRT industry entirely. And we need to not only apply the rules of the schools uh, and the student codes of conduct in a colorblind manner, but we need to abide by the letter of the law of the Federal Civil Rights Act. You know, and we need to apply the Federal Civil Rights Act in a colorblind manner. That is what we need to do. That is the answer. We need to re-embrace the, the, the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr.'s, you know, beloved society and, 
you know, and, and what he said about, you know, judging people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. We need to, we need to re-embrace that ideal of, of the civil rights movement. That's what we need to do. That would be nice. Well, in the meantime, until we do that, you can go and check out Sarah over on Twitter slash X, go follow her over there and, uh, uh, you know, support her in any way uh, you, that you or I can and everything. There is the GoFundMe if you're watching on the uh, uh, on the video today. But uh, I, I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, please go help her out, support what she's been going through. And uh, yeah, I, I know you will and I will do it. And what we're doing is uh, really fighting the good fight at this point. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm I'm just... I just hope so much that the tide has turned and that we can really turn this around. I hope so too. And uh, happy new year to you. I really appreciate oh. you coming back on here and doing this. Oh, it was Very an educational. Pleasure. Thank you. And I appreciate you folks for watching and listening to the podcast. If you want more, uh, every Wednesday, this uh, free episode goes out on all the major podcast platforms. If you want more, I also have a Rumble page where I do another podcast with video, which this will also be on Rumble as well. And uh, yeah, I have Patreon. So I will do a couple of extra episodes a week at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer for just $3 a month. Sounds good to me. And I have bonus content and everything like that. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening to the podcast. That is the Check Your Brain podcast. And uh, yeah, many more episodes for you here in this year. Happy New Year to you fine folks. Bye, everybody. See you next